three rivals seeking to take the throne. After the death of Edward the Confessor, Harold Godwinson was immediately crowned King of England. But Harold Hardrada, the King of Norway, and Duke William of Normandy also claimed the right to be the next King of England. Three men, one throne. Let's learn some more history. Welcome to the first episode of the More History Podcast. My name's Adam Moore. On today's episode, I will be examining the events and characters who influenced the Battle of Hastings. As a middle school social studies teacher in Tennessee, I am required to teach about the Battle of Hastings. However, as a student, I never learned about the Battle of Hastings until I took a world history survey class in college, and we only learned about the basics of the war. The goal of this podcast is to learn more information about historical events that are well-known and others that are not so well-known, and by doing this, I can better teach my students. Plus, I love learning and teaching history. As I began researching the Battle of Hastings, I realized that these three men, Harold Godwinson, Harold Hardrada, and Duke William, were all three interesting characters, who all shared the same goal and wanted the throne. Also, this battle used to be considered the most important battle in English history. This case could have been made before the World Wars. This battle is important because it did change English history and the trajectory of the country forever. Before we can examine these three men and their battle for the throne, we must first learn about Edward the Confessor, the King of England. Edward the Confessor was the last Anglo-Saxon king of England. According to St. Bede the Venerable, the Anglo-Saxons were the descendants of three Germanic tribes, the Angles, Saxons, and Jutes. Typically, the term Anglo-Saxon is used to describe a member of the Germanic peoples who ruled and inhabited territories that are part of modern-day England and Wales. Edward's death initiated a bloody time in English history, pun intended. Edward became king in 1042. Even though he was the king of England, he had little power. Edward had to gain support from the three of the great earls, Godwin, Leofric, and Seward. Godwin was the most influential of the three earls, and he gave earldoms to his sons, Sween and Harold. Remember Harold, we will learn more about him later. Edward and Earl Godwin's daughter, Edith, get married, and one can understand that Earl Godwin's intentions with this marriage. His grandson would be the next king of England. Obviously, the goal of any royal family is to have an heir. Edward and his wife Edith are unable to have a child, and this is going to instigate a succession crisis. Basically, there is no prince or princess to take over the throne when Edward dies on January 5th, 1066. One of the big questions that must be asked, did Edward actually name his successor? This is a huge question. Did Edward ask Harold to take the throne, or was Harold a usurper? Did Harold feel obligated to become king after the death of his brother-in-law, or did he seize the opportunity to become king? I believe that Edward did not name his successor and that Harold realized that this was his chance to become the King of England. This reminds me of Game of Thrones when King Robert Baratheon, the king of fictional Westeros, dies and does not have a legitimate heir to the throne. He basically raised a child that wasn't his and was created by incest, and he has numerous bastards running around the kingdom. The hand of the king, Ned Stark, was appointed to be king in name until the heir could take over the throne. However, as Cersei Lannister, the queen and a major character of the show stated, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. Part of the problem was that in England at this time, there was no clear way for ascension to the throne. The three ways were bloodline, a designation, or an election. Let's look at the three contestants who wanted to be the next king of England and their claims to the throne. First up is Harold Godwinson. Godwinson is the second most powerful man in England and an advisor to Edward. Harold and Edward became brothers-in-law when the king married Harold's sister. Harold's powerful position, his relationship to Edward, and his esteem among his peers made him a logical successor to the throne. 
Harold's claim was strengthened when Edward supposedly uttered on his deathbed, into Harold's hands, I commit my kingdom. If this truly happened, what an endorsement. However, there are differing accounts on whether Edward named Harold the successor. With this kingly endorsement, the Winton, the Council of Royal Advisors, unanimously selected Harold as the next King of England. His coronation occurred the same day as Edward's burial. With the placing of the crown on his head, Harold's troubles were just beginning. William the Conqueror was the son of Robert I, Duke of Normandy, and his mistress, Herleva, also called Arlette, a tanner's daughter from Felice. The Duke, who had no other sons, designated William his heir, and with his death in 1035, William became the Duke of Normandy. William was of Viking origin, though he spoke a dialect of French and grew up in Normandy, a fiefdom loyal to the French kingdom. In 1051, William, Duke of Normandy, is to believe to have visited England and met with his cousin, Edward the Confessor. According to Norman historians, Edward promised to make William his heir. William claimed that his blood relationship with Edward and the promise should make him the next king. William even stated that Harold Godwinson swore on the relics of a martyred saint that he, William, should be the next king. Basically, William is claiming that Harold Godwinson admits that he should be the next king of England. The third rival for the throne was Harold Hardrada, king of Norway. His claim to the throne was even less justifiable than William's and Harold's. Hardrada ruled Norway with his nephew Mangus until 1047 when Mangus died. In 1042, Mangus had brokered a deal with Harthika, the Danish ruler of England. Neither one of these men had a male heir. Both Harthika and Mangus promised their kingdom to the other in the event of their death. Harthacut died, but Mangus was unable to follow up on his claim to the English throne because he was too busy battling for the rule of Denmark. With Mangus and Edward dead, Hardrada asserted that since he was Mangus's heir, he was the rightful ruler of England. He also believed that his family had been promised the Kingdom of England. When he heard of Harold's coronation, Hardrada prepared to invade England and take the throne. When Edward does not name a successor to the throne, it has direct implications for England's future. Harold Godwin was the most powerful lord of England and became the King of England, when this happened, William and Harold Hardrada both began planning how they would begin their invasions of England to battle for the throne. It would have been really simple if Edward would have publicly named his successor, but unfortunately he did not. Now we will examine two battles. First is the Battle of Stamford Bridge, and then we will look at the Battle of Hastings. Harold Hardrada of Norway struck first. In mid-September, Hardrada's invasion force landed on the northern English coast, sacked a few coastal villages, and headed towards the city of York. Hardrada was joined in his effort by Tostig, King Harold's brother. Tostig had been exiled because he felt that he had a small claim to the throne. Hardrada and Tostig fought the English troops led by Earls Edwin and Morcar. The Viking army overwhelmed an English force blocking the York Road and captured the city of York. Meanwhile, in London, news of the invasion sent King Harold to the north at the head of his army picking up reinforcements along the way. Hardrada and Tostig marched victoriously to Stamford Bridge and there they would have one last battle that would give the winner the throne. However, the speed of Harold's forced march allowed him to surprise Hardrada's army on September 25th. His army traveled over 200 miles in little more than a week. Hardrada and his army camped at Stamford Bridge outside of York, and a fierce battle followed. Most of the combat was hand-to-hand -hand combat. The Norsemen's lines broke, and the real slaughter began. Hardrada fell, followed by the king's brother Tostig. With both leaders now dead, the remaining Viking army fled to their ships. The Viking defeat was so bad that only 24 of the original 240 ships used during the invasion made the trip back home. In August, William Duke of Normandy had been preparing ships to carry himself and his army across the English Channel. However, there was a delay in their departure. There are a couple of arguments that have been presented throughout history, and through my research, I discovered that the delay of William's troops is a point of contention between historians. 
Supposedly, the weather was uncooperative for the ships to sail, and William chose to ride the weather out to prevent losing troops and weapons. While some historians believe that William intentionally waited for Harold and the English army to be scattered so they could march into London and take over the city. The Carmen, or the Song of the Battle of Hastings, was discovered in 1826 in the Royal Library in Brussels. According to the Carmen, For a long time, tempest and continuous rains prevented your fleet from sailing across the channel. You were in despair when all hope of sailing was denied you. But in the end, whether you liked it or not, you left your shore and directed your ships toward the coast of a neighbor. The you that the Carmen is referring to is William. Historian Mark Morris in his book The Norman Conquest explains that William prayed to St. Valery's shrine and was waiting for the weather to calm down. According to the Carmen, all were of one mind and purpose, to entrust themselves to the sea, now calm at last. And oh what great noise suddenly erupts from that place as sailors seek their oars, the knights their arms. Personally, I think both arguments can be true. I believe that William waited and used strategy to help him gain an advantage. However, the weather could have helped delay the deployment as well. Regardless, the stars are aligning for William to be successful in the upcoming battle. With all of this happening simultaneously, it is hard for William and Harold to know of each person's location and when they arrived. Morris believes that William arrived in England not knowing which Harold he was going to have to fight. Basically, William is going to England and he doesn't care who his opponent is. He just wants the throne. He and his troops arrive on September 28, 1066 at Pevensey, on Britain's southeast coast with thousands of troops and cavalry. What was King Harold doing days before William's arrival in England? After the Battle of Stamford Bridge, he and his troops rested. He negotiated with the Norwegian soldiers that had just been defeated, effectively telling them to return home. And he also mourned for his exiled brother. Different accounts say that he attended his brother Tostig's funeral. This is one of the most interesting parts of history. And as I tell my students, sometimes we forget that these people that lived hundreds to thousands of years ago had emotions just like we do. I tend to believe that Harold attended his brother's funeral simply because it was his brother, regardless of the fact that Tostig had been exiled and they had just fought each other in battle. According to the Carmen and William of Poitiers, days before the battle ensued, lines of communication had been opened between King Harold and William. Both men realized that war could be avoided. However, both had asked for things that the other would not grant. William offered that Harold could return to being the Earl of Wessex if he gave up the throne, while Harold stated that William could return to Normandy unmolested if he repaired and paid for the damages that had incurred. Obviously, neither man would agree to these terms, so war is imminent. After landing in Pevensey and seizing it, William had five Montan Bailey castles erected so that the Normans had bases within England. William then marched to Hastings, where he paused to organize his forces. On September 13th, Harold arrived near Hastings with his army. Harold rushed his army south and planted his battle standards atop a knoll some five miles from Hastings. Harold has the high ground. I can imagine Harold shouting at William and saying, It is over, William. I have the high ground, with the dramatic effects from the famous scene of Star Wars, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. In the early morning of October 14th, Harold's army of around 10,000 soldiers watched the Norman warriors march to the base of the hill, and they began taking their battle stations. The Anglo-Saxon army had created a shield formation at the top of the hill. This strategy had been used many times in battle. Harold had even used it when he battled the Welsh in 1063. Harold's Anglo-Saxon army was made up of housecarls in the Ferd. Housecarls were well-trained full-time soldiers who were paid for their services. Their main weapon was the battle axe. The heavy curved blade and the long handle meant that the weapon had to be held with both hands. The Ferd were working men who were called up to fight for the king in times of danger. Leaders of the Ferd were equipped with swords, bows, and spears. 
but the rest of the men were inexperienced fighters and carried weapons such as iron clubs, slings, sickles, and pitchforks. William had three groups of soldiers, a corps of archers, melee infantry, and heavy cavalry. Archers were in the first group, the melee infantry the second, which carried spears, shields, clubs, swords, and anything else that they could grab. The archers were supposed to break up the Anglo-Saxon shoulder-to-shoulder formation, and then the melee infantry would beat it down even more. That way the formation could begin to fall apart. The big punch would be the Norman knights on cavalry. These soldiers would have been training to fight for most of their lives. One thing that you have to remember, that war during the Middle Ages was brutal and fought within close quarters. Being separated by a few hundred yards, the lines of two armies traded taunts and insults. On the signal, Norman archers took their position at the front of the line and readied their arrows. The English sitting at the top of the hill responded by raising their shields above their heads for defense to protect them from the rain of arrows, and so the Battle of Hastings began. While citing the carmen, Morris explains an interesting nugget about one of the Norman knights named Telifer. Telifer rode to the front of the line and began taunting the English army by showing off his amazing sword skills. Supposedly, he was throwing his sword in the air and begging for any English soldier to attack him. Finally, one rushes down the hill and Telifer quickly kills the soldier by cutting off his head and holding it high for everyone to see. However, after killing the English soldier, Telifer pulls a kamikaze move and rushes straight into the English army where he would be killed. The arrows then begin to fall on the English troops who refuse to give up the high ground and their defense formation could not be penetrated. The Anglo-Saxon army believed that playing defense and making the Normans be on the offensive would play into their favor. With the English having the high ground and a strong defense formation, the Normans were finding it difficult to send their cavalry and troops up the hill to effectively attack the English. The Carmen and William of Poitiers described the terrain as too rough to be tilled. The Normans were throwing javelins and trying to advance up the hill, but it was simply not working. The Norman cavalry attempted to advance up the hill numerous times. No one knows how many advances they made, but the English stayed disciplined and would not give an inch. William of Poitiers states, This was a strange kind of battle, one side with all the mobility and initiative, and the other just resisting as though rooted to the soil. Most medieval battles were over in less than an hour, and the Battle of Hastings would last around eight hours. Something had to give as the battle had become a stalemate, with neither side gaining any ground. Depending on which source you choose to believe, the Normans either got lucky or they used strategy to lure the English to pursue them. According to Poitier, part of the Norman army on the left wing began to flee. While this was happening, a rumor began spreading through the troops that their leader, William, the Duke of Normandy, had been killed. William, who was very much alive, gave a motivational speech to rally his troops. During his win one for the Gipper moment, he supposedly ripped off his helmet and said, Look at me, I am alive, and with God's help, I will conquer. What madness is persuading you to flee? What way is open to escape? The Bayou Tapestry depicts William removing his helmet to encourage his troops to continue fighting. However, it is unclear what was said during his motivational speech. According to the Carmen, this was a plan that was masterfully executed. When the Normans act like they are fleeing, they lure part of the English troops to their slaughter. Harold tried to regroup the soldiers and reform them back into a shield wall, but the Normans' trick worked. With numerous troops lost due to the Normans' plan of fleeing, the English defenses are compromised and their lines give way, and the Normans begin advancing easily up the hill. According to Poitiers, The dead by falling seemed to move more than the living, and it was not possible for the lightly wounded to escape, for there they were crushed to death by their serried ranks of their companions. Finally, as evening approached, the English line gave way, 
and the Normans rushed their enemy with a vengeance. Rumors of King Harold's death swirled amongst the troops. Once this rumor began, the exhausted English lost heart. The Bayou Tapestry states, Here Harold was killed, and the English turned in flight. The story of Harold's death, according to the Bayou Tapestry, is that the king was shot in the eye with an arrow, and other sources say that William actually killed him. The tapestry states, Harold the king has been killed. We have to remember that history is written by the victors, and the tapestry is a Norman document. The tapestry's images were designed to tell the story of the conquest of England from the Norman perspective. It focuses on the story of William, making no mention of Hergrot of Norway, nor of Harold's victory at Stamford Bridge. So how did Harold die? Many historians believe that he simply died in battle. And if William actually killed him, everyone would know about this feat through the ages. The Carmen tells the story of Harold being pierced with a lance, beheaded, and disemboweled. We are also told that his thigh was hacked off, and here many believe that thigh means penis. With Harold's death, William's victory was complete. The battle would last one day. William's victory tour began as he would visit different towns and villages, quickly showing off his army and forcing people to surrender and swear their allegiance. If they did not, he would attack and burn their villages. One of the funniest parts of this story comes on William's coronation day. William was crowned King of England in Westminster Abbey on Christmas Day, 1066. While William's coronation occurred, the audience inside the church was asked if they approved of William as the next King of England. The French-speaking Normans and the English-speaking Saxons then shouted their approval of William becoming king. The Norman soldiers outside the church thought the noise inside the church was an assassination attempt and began setting fire to houses around the abbey. Smoke filled the church and the congregation fled and riots broke out. Inside, William and the officiating clergy completed the service despite the chaos. Imagine the scene from the U.S. version of the office where Dwight is testing his co-worker's emergency preparedness and sets a fire outside the office. All of his co-workers panic, and one even has a heart attack. I can imagine the coronation being the same way, except the houses and buildings were ransacked and burned by the Normans. When William was crowned the first Norman King of England in Westminster Abbey, the Anglo-Saxon phase of English history comes to an end. Some big changes happen in England after William becomes the king. William removes the English nobles and replaces them with Norman nobles. William removes the English nobles and replaces them with Norman nobles. He also removes Anglo-Saxons from the church and replaces them with Normans. Replacing these groups of people was a smart move on William's part. William introduces feudalism to England and many castles and estates would be built after the Norman Conquest. These Mott and Bailey style castles were created to help continue the Norman Conquest and it also provided an estate for William's nobles. Other changes include the French language becoming the language of the king's court and it would gradually blend with the Anglo-Saxon tongue to give birth to modern English. The Domesday Book was a great census of the lands and people of England. The Battle of Hastings is such an interesting battle to study. Its impact continues to influence Britons and Americans today. England had been ruled by Anglo-Saxon kings before the Norman invasion. And as a historian, I have to wonder how England's history would have been different if Harold would have won the Battle of Hastings. I am not confident enough in making a claim stating how different England's history would have been, but I know it would have been different. Thank you for listening to episode one of the More History Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend about it. I would be honored if you would share it with anyone who would like to learn more history.